0: Lovely. So, hello! It's December, so it's Christmas. That's why I'm wearing a hat. I'm very disappointed that no one else is wearing Christmas gear, but that is okay. I forgive you. (laughs) So, last week, we wrapped up our Genesis series. Oh, God. We wrapped up our Genesis series. I know, it's very sad. But, this week, we are starting our Christmas series yeah, there it is. Who is excited about Christmas? I am. I know I am. Like, I'm not really much of a decorate the house, put lights everywhere kind of guy, because that takes effort to put down, take down, you know. But I am the Christmas carols, Christmas music kind of person. Like, a lot of these songs don't really mention Jesus, but for me, they're always, like, an amazing reminder. It's like, hey, Jesus is good, and I feel like uh, me being the weirdo I am, I listen to Christmas music all year long. Uh, sometimes I just find myself singing Christmas songs to myself because they're just so catchy. And it, rem- it reminds me day to day that, hey, Jesus. I mean, there's like a reason why Mariah Carey always like defrosts at this time of year. It's because like she is just so catchy. Um, well, anyways, so this Christmas Jesus series, it's going to take us to the rest of December. Um, And we're going to be looking at Galatians as to why it is that we need to celebrate in this season. Uh, Before we have a dive into what today's scripture is about, I think it's important for us to all just be on the same page as to what Galatians talks about, uh, since we're going to be starting in the middle of the letter. There it is. Uh, So this is Galatia. This is one of the stops that Paul made along his way. Uh, So this letter was written to this to several churches around this area by Paul. Um, Paul was an apostle who went around, um, who went through this entire redemption arc as a person. So like he was a really bad dude, but then eventually um, the experiences in his life and Jesus um, led him to follow and spread the teachings of Jesus um, as a missionary around you know his world. And Galatia was one of those stops, uh, one of the places that he stopped at along his journeys. Uh, so we know that about Paul. Whenever he writes, he writes for the sake of spreading the good news of Jesus, who saves everyone. Uh, so because of this, his letters that he writes to the churches that he visited um, would often be split into two categories. The first one being uh, celebrating celebrating those churches for doing really well. You know, oh, you're upholding the gospel message. You're spreading love. You know, you're being who Jesus has called you to be the other side of things, he would write letters to churches to call them out on them acting out on their own works, um, ignoring the gospel message, and encouraging them to do better, to go back to the gospel. So this letter that he writes to Galatia, he does the latter. He does the second part. of the second um, letter writing style he uses. He writes out of this deep and pained frustration at how these churches in Galatia changed the message that he delivered to them and how they began to focus on, you know, living by old traditions instead. So for Paul, the message of Christ is a message that is meant for every single person, whether it be me, you, it doesn't matter, you know, Gentiles, Galatians, whatever, it is a message meant to be for every single person. So because of this uh, the news of Jesus started spreading, and around Paul's time, the number of non-Jewish Christians and the number of Jewish Christians were about 50-50. Um, so, yeah, the culture began to grow. Uh, so, not a perfect one-to-one analogy, but I want to paint this picture for you guys. So, think about our own culture, right? Considering that we're a largely Chinese community, um, our culture, like we've been raised on a certain culture, we've been raised on a certain lifestyle. We have certain traditions. When we hurt ourselves, we go Ay-ah. like you don't really find that in a lot of places. But that's very like uniquely Asian, I feel. Um, and now that this world is growing more and more connected um, than it has ever been before, culture is one of those things that people can share with one another. So, like, whenever I scroll through social media, I see, like, a lot of, like, recipe videos, tour guides of people from different cultures wanting to share a bit about themselves, a bit about who they are, who their culture represents them as. So, much like how our own culture is something that we can invite people to come in and enjoy and experience, this message of Jesus that Paul shares was meant for everyone as well to be shared and to be enjoyed as well. That being said... There are, there, there are those people who will always be like, Oh, I don't want to share. I don't see the point of sharing. Or I don't want to share unless you do things my way. And when talking about the cultural context, of, like the culture sort of um, example, these people often call things appropriation instead of appreciation. And for Paul, these were the Jews who hung onto the old traditions and that argued that these non Jews who believe in Jesus shouldn't be allowed to call themselves believers without practicing their Jewish traditions. So a lot of these early Jewish Christians were still um, practicing a lot of their old ways, such as going to synagogues, going to temples, sacrificing things, uh, practicing Moses' laws, and they had dietary taboos, all the stuff that we covered earlier on in the year. They essentially thought that they still needed to do things to get salvation, to have a chance at salvation, and it's because of this that they didn't like what this new wave of non-Jewish Christians uh, were representing. That they didn't need to practice what was their faith, essentially. The issue here is that Paul wants the Galatian churches, the Galatian Christians who are ignoring the gospel, to understand that Jesus is the one who saves, that the faith in Jesus is what saves, not their works. So Paul responds to these people he writes to correct their blind; these blind followers of old traditions, to re-establish that true Christian salvation is through faith in Christ alone, and it's demonstrated in the way Jesus sacrificed Himself for theirs and our sins. Um, so, chapters one to uh, three, verse five, just a quick summary of it all. Um, we see Paul's argument for grace offered by Jesus. We see Paul suffering deeply because, again. He, was, he cares so much about these churches, and he wants them to be put back on track. So the letter opens up with the classic, hey, how do you do? I'm Paul. But then it jumps straight into um, kind of him calling them out, which is something we don't really see often in Paul's letters. He says to them, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Paul is describing how his message is also brought on by divine means and not by human voices. So he eliminates that doubt there. He wants them to know that um, the gospel that he preaches is not from human origins and that his response was not because of him consulting humans. He wanted to demonstrate that his understanding and the perspective... he, He wanted them to know that he has an understanding and he's lived the perspective of these Jews, that for those who have heard of his previous life in Judaism... That he was intensely persecuted by the church and he's tried to destroy it before. So he knows what they've, he knows their point of view, he knows their perspective. He also calls out the hypocrisy of many Christians who fall back into old traditions. So he, he's talking about Peter here, he, Peter, began to draw back on and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? He wraps up chapter 2 by reiterating the message that he holds dear to his heart. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And finally, he starts chapter 3 by speaking on the necessity of faith over works in salvation. Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So that kind of wraps up our little, you know, pre-context of what Galatians 3, 6 to 14 is going to be diving into. So, Galatians 3, 6 to 14. Um, These verses I can see being split into two different sections. These are a look back to Abraham's life, so verses 6 to 9, and the curses of law which was broken by Jesus, verses 4 to 10. There we go. So having established that he shares the experience of the Galatians, Paul further links um, their need for Christ to the experience Abraham had in Genesis. So 6 to 9 reads that. (laughs) We read it. We don't need it. It's just going to be there for a while. So here Paul uses his knowledge of the Old Testament traditions and the history to lay down his argument. It, in it solidifies his argument, that's the word. Um, so it, it solidifies the arguments that he has against the claims of these angry Jews. That if they were so justified by faith in the past, at the start of things, from Abraham, why can't they continue being justified by faith? And instead they focus on the law in this moment. For those of you who have been paying attention, um, you'll remember early in the year when I spoke on Genesis 15, we talked about Abram, now Abraham, um, and his covenant with God. Uh, So in verse 6 here, um, it's referencing this faith that Abraham Abraham had in God in that moment. Uh, we We talked about how Abraham's faith was really wobbly because there was a lot of human uncertainty in his life. But in that moment when God made his promise with him, Abraham was able to put his full trust in God. This trust was faith; his faith showing, and this faith was credited to righteousness in Abraham. A righteousness that was born from his faith. So, in essence, Paul here is saying that, above all things, this is exactly how um, this is exactly how we should be acting right now, as Abraham demonstrated here. He paints a picture for us that the Galatians, for the Galatians, that Abraham, much like themselves. They believe in God. They trust in God, and God uses this trust to do to lead them to where they need to be. Paul here is trying to teach the Galatians again that when you live by a skewed gospel, you aren't going to be able to receive the fulfillment of life, and that they need to live like Abraham did. Paul here, Paul in uh, moving on from verse six, Paul here urges the Galatians that. They need to realize this blessing can be attained by anyone. So not just, you know, the promised people anymore. It's spread to everyone else. Anyone can attain it when they have faith in God. Anyone can attain salvation when they are able to willingly throw themselves towards God, metaphorically. When you can count on God, they. Uh, when you can count on God, you... Let this attitude of righteousness with God flow through you. and that Anything else is deemed merely as a show of pride, as a show of self-righteousness at that point. So all your any works that you might be doing to you know, win brownie points from God, that all comes and opposes God. We see that in James, where it says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Paul uses this little bit of history to redeclare the fact that all who share in Abraham's faith is a part of the kingdom of God now. That someone's background, how they've been brought up, what their traditions are, what they practice, it holds no weight to God because faith is now above all. Paul clearly shows them that those of you who live by faith are able to enjoy the blessings of God because they are as trusty as Abraham was. So now looking forward to Jesus, we see, uh, we can read in verses 10 to 11. Uh, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written by the book of of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. Now that is clarified how faith shouldn't be this new concept for the Galatians Paul moves to preemptively defend against this arguments that um, the arguments around the then more significant you know mosaic law that they held on to Paul explains how here um, how he, the old law um, actually brings them condemnation actually brings them into a cursed life and for all of those who and for all to those who don't adhere to them. um. Sorry. He explains here how the old law is actually what brings condemnation, brings a curse, and that everyone who believes in this such law will believe that the only criteria to bring salvation is to follow the law, and everyone who doesn't follow the law is cursed. So this is what the Jews was arguing against, arguing about. So... The common consensus of the Jewish scholars who didn't agree with the Gentiles being part of the Messianic community was that these vulgar people of the land, these common folk, they didn't have the knowledge or the history of the law. Um, But Paul, however, turns the table on them in this moment in verse 11, we can see. um, He calls them out. So these Jewish people who are mad at the Gentiles being part of the Jesus community. He calls them out for being the sinners, not the Gentiles he calls out these angry Galatians who are clearly under, living under the law as being the ones who are blind, that their dedication to this law is, sending, is, the, one, is the thing that is sending them away from God. He, he clearly sends out this message here, so he, Paul sends out this clear message that those who look for acceptance in God through an individual, individual's actions alone are the ones who are cursed. So is Paul here saying that traditions and laws are bad and that, the Jew, that all, like, all this time, the, all these laws that the Jews upheld, had upheld were bad? No, he's not trying to say that. But what he is saying is that these laws that they used, they have fulfilled their purpose. That he's able to understand that there's, their desire to follow this law, you know, it's part of history, but history has changed through Jesus He understands that these laws help the Israelites keep to their history, that they were able to help the Israelites understand and not be distracted from God. But he urges them to realize that the law has changed in Jesus. Paul compares the faith, the people who rely on faith, and people who rely on works here, stating that they can either come to God completely through the merits of their own works, or at least they can try to do that. Or they can lean into God and trust that God can lead them towards salvation. He shares that the old law of action has fulfilled its duty. And this new law of Jesus is now what brings them to freedom. That the curses of the old law can now be broken by Jesus. And that they can open themselves up to be adopted into God's family through faith. Uh, So reading on. The law is not based in faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. So that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. In these two last verses, the argument here ramps up. Paul doubles down to prove that it's utterly impossible for anyone to be deemed righteous and free from the curse of God by just keeping to the law. To Paul, the fact that there is a fact that no one can win life through law itself. And he comes to this conclusion because the scriptures would not have offered them another option if keeping to the law was the only way that Jesus the salvation can be attained. The promise of Abraham can only be understood in the context of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. Where the belief of this act alone brings fulfillment, God is a reigning positive through all of this. He fulfills the covenant he made with Abraham through blessing the Gentiles. He broke the curse that binds them as well. Christ brought us out from the curse of the law by taking the curse on for us. The reason for all of this was so that the blessing of being free of the curse, as mentioned in Abraham's story, can now be applied to non-Jewish people, to all of us. Christ died to deliver us from the law and to break us away from the inevitable curse. So Paul reminds us that faith demonstrated by Abraham is the same faith that these Gentiles have now. That their justification is now brought on by the blessing Abraham was given. And it's now able to affect all people. This effect was redemption through Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit. The law and the old ways of living without Jesus puts us under a curse And Paul here reinstates that accepting God solely is the base, on the basis of faith is the only way to receive this new fulfillment in life. Breaking free from the curse is by our faith alone and not by what we do. So some of you might be here thinking, okay, so this God fellow, did he make these curses so that we have to love him? It's kind of strange um, that, however, is not the case, and I want to clear that up for you. This curse is not of God. He doesn't give you this curse to force you to love Him, but rather it is a necessary byproduct of sin. So much like how when there are shadows, there is light, um, when we choose to not live in the way God has intended us for us to live, we are living in a curse. This curse isn't a punishment set on us by God, but rather a consequence of our own choosing. So say that you really, really like fast food, right? And you have it for every single meal and nothing else. That's going to obviously bring some health issues with you, right? So let's say you have KFC every single day and your health starts to decline. You can't blame that on the kernel because it was your own actions that brought you to feeling unwell. So it, was your, it would be the consequences of your own choices that brought you unhealthiness, So the curse isn't of God, but rather it is a necessity of sin to remind us to go back into God. Um, I'd like to leave you guys with three points. So the first is realize that we are cursed. Uh, The first point, yeah, this first point where we realize we are cursed, we have to recognize that the curse that we live in is a necessity in life because we as humans are so incapable of paying back the debt that we owe it's necessary for us to both re- to realize both our inadequacies in ourselves and our need for faith in Jesus understand that for us our curse is an indication of life without god some of you then might be asking, okay, how can this idea of a curse relate to us then? Because we aren't cursed, right? A lot of us are probably relatively happy, live carefree lives. While we might not be under the same curse of the law as they were back then, our curses come from the same root. That being the decision to not choose Jesus and to live by our own works, by our own merits. Life can look good. It might even look, you know, very close to what fulfillment might be when, you know, that life of fulfillment we find in Christ. But until you realize who Jesus is to you personally and, your place in, and you place your faith in him, you can only live a surface level of life. Um, I don't know if you guys watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but this whole idea of um, life looking good without God reminded me of this one scene Santiago, can we please, please just eat? What if Captain Holt and Jake are coming back? Hang on, I have a toast. I am thankful to have someone in my life who gives me a reason to get out of bed every morning, and I hope that my relationship with this person will only grow more intimate. Who are you talking about? Um, Hitchcock. Okay, enough is enough. I'm eating. Mm. What did need? Potatoes, butter, a little milk, and I ran out of salt, so I used baking soda. Why wouldn't you? They're both white powders. Of course, they're interchangeable. Yeah. So, yeah, while both white powders, while well, both are white powders, they do completely different things. You can live a life that is de- that what you deem to be a happy life, but when you get a taste of the fulfillment of life that comes only through Christ, you'll understand that the life of baking soda and mashed potatoes, of not following Jesus, is not the way to fulfillment. Second point is Jesus takes away our sins. We created this curse with it with ourselves through sin. We chose this path that has destined us for death. Yet still, even with all of that, even with all the basically traitorous behaviors we have with God, his overflowing love for us is still present. God gave his son for us to take this curse away. He gave Jesus for us to be the curse taker. Jesus gave us all a get out of curse free card and his death and his blood washed us clean of all guilt of all curses, of all sins. The only requirement for us to take this fulfillment, this freedom that Jesus gives us, is to have faith in him just like Abraham did with God. Lastly, um, I want to ask you guys, the final point is what will you do? It's now your choice, your chance to accept Jesus. Uh, This curse is a reality that we need to live in because it is brought on by our own choosings of not wanting to live with Jesus, not living the way God has intended us to live. When we accept this as a fact of life, we can open up and really, really begin to see change and accept change in our lives. We'll be able to look at and turn back to Jesus and ask Him to be our curse breakers. Paul teaches us here in Galatians that Um, we can be justified and be set set free from this curse by Jesus alone. He reminds us that we are part of this diverse family that holds the blessing of Abraham. And we are all equipped by the Spirit to love God again. When we have faith in Jesus, we can rely on the redemption and salvation that comes from Christ. We realize that we, when we aren't focused on our own abilities to save ourselves, our faith can really take place in helping us realize our own failures to be righteous. That our best works in, in working for fulfillment is worthless in comparison to our faith in Jesus. Faith turns us to Jesus so that we can find this righteousness that Abraham had with God. I want everyone right now just to close your eyes. Just to close your eyes. This isn't an altar call, don't worry. I'm not going to tell you to raise your hands. Just close your eyes. Uh, yeah, if you're not closing your eyes, close them. Be respectful to everyone around you. you. know. Let's all do this practice. Let's all do this exercise together. I want you to reflect a little bit. I want you to try list some things in your life that might be separating you from God right now. The things that you don't realize you're not offering fully to Jesus. These things might be these you might be holding on to these things because you're comfortable with how they are. You're comfortable with how they make your life. You might be holding on to these things because you're afraid of what might happen to you when you let them go. When you let go of this control. Whatever it may be, I want you to think of these curses that you have in your own lives. If you're feeling unsure about where your priorities in your heart lie, I urge you to try and ask God in this moment to help you seek him. Jesus has told us that he will protect us. For those of you who have been lucky enough to have that moment with God, to have that moment with Jesus, I want you to reflect on that moment now, to remember that feeling of trust, that feeling of assurance that he gives you, that he brought onto you in that moment. I want you to remind yourselves that he can and he will do that again. And all you have to do is ask. You can all open your eyes. Thank you. Um, So, will you step out in faith in this moment? In this Christmas season, let's not forget why it is that we need to celebrate and remember that Jesus is the reason for the season. It's true because it rhymes. Remember that we celebrate this birth of Jesus, the one who was born to take our place in death because of our sins and our curses. In this season, remember that when we put our faith into Jesus, this curse of sin is taken away completely. That Jesus takes away the power of the enemy when we jump fully into Jesus' arms. Let's ask Jesus to help take this this curse away. Let's pray. Father, we are so unworthy of your son that you gave us as a sacrifice. A sacrifice to take our place in death. And we just want to ask you today, Lord Jesus, that when we are facing moments of trial, when we are facing moments of unsureness, that you will be there for us, Lord. That you will be able to break these curses that we have in our own lives these curses that we've placed on ourselves because we try to do things in our own merit. Father, bring us salvation that only you, Jesus, can bring. We put our life at your feet. We thank you for your sacrifice. And in Jesus' name, Lord, we pray. And everyone said, Amen.